Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Today, we're going to be talking about the enthronement of God-man just in a moment. We've got a lot of uh, uh, ground to cover, but the way we're going to do it, you're going to see there's going to be a timeline here in the middle, and it's going to stay up there the entire time, and then we're just going to keep adding to it. There will be one place in the middle where I hope I remember to say to you, take a picture now, okay? Because then after that, a couple of pieces will come off, but then it'll keep building, and at the end, you'll want to take a picture again, okay? If you want that for your... uh, You don't have to, by the way. (laughs) Uh, You know, Um, I'm just saying, if you want that for your devotions and, and, you know, your, your own personal study, Otherwise, you'll be sitting there just clicking the entire time and wondering, oh, shoot, I should have just waited. So about, you know, maybe halfway through or a third of the way through, I'll tell you when. And uh, take, take a picture then. <clears throat> and uh, for those that, of you that don't want to, that's entirely fine. And, uh, and then on the sides will be the, the usual kind of PowerPoint. And so with the visual, I hope that'll help you. So last week... Uh, we talked about how the birth of a man-centered religion called humanism was born in the 14th century, and uh, this religion is quickly moving towards totalitarianism, and right now plans are being laid, even right now, for a one-world government. And uh, if you want to, just go to the website and look up uh, World Economic Forum. You'll see it right there. And they just tell you straight out. All this will end up with a man called Antichrist sitting on a throne in the restored Jewish temple in Jerusalem proclaiming himself to be God. And that's a little bit about what we talked about last week. So we talked about the enthronement of a man. This week we're talking about the enthronement of the God-man, and by that we mean who? Jesus, of course. And uh, so we'll take one step back to see how this man or antichrist or lawless one is enthroned and what happens after that so that the god man Jesus Christ is enthroned and uh, this will be a uh, it'll be in a sense a, a brief just a really brief overview of the end times although the very end piece I'll just basically throw up on the screen and we won't we won't do anything so basically we'll be talking about tribulation and and the millennial reign, and you'll see all the pieces in between, and uh, and then and then right at the end, I'll just throw up the last little piece in case, so that you're not going. I wonder where this happens, and you know that sort of thing. And uh, so, if we have enough time, we'll do that. As Jesus was sitting, <clears throat> and we're going to pray in just a moment. I'm I'm in an intro here. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples asked him a question. Tell us, they said. When will this happen? They were referring to the destruction of the temple. And uh, what will be the sign of your coming in of the end of the age? And then Jesus went into a detailed answer about that in Matthew 24 and 25. I've memorized a lot of, well, pretty much all of 24 and a little bit of 25. But that's a really key sermon that he gives. It's often referred to as the Olivet Discourse because it was given on the Mount of Olives. He was sitting there when he gave it. Uh, gave it. And uh, so he talked about it, and in it, Matthew 24, 25, he's basically talking about the seven-year period that we call the Tribulation. 
That's basically what he's talking about, all right? And so that's what we're going to start with, and then we'll move into the millennium, and uh, that sort of thing. Well, uh, well, we won't enter the millennium today, but we will talk about it, okay? And, uh, and so that's where we are. And so we're going to start with the tribulation in just a moment, but let's begin by bowing for a word of prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you so much, uh, even as we were singing about the, the you know, the <laughs> you're the way, the truth, and the life, and, and, and uh, we're just so thrilled about that, about the truth that we have. Uh, Lord, when we look at a world in chaos, they don't have the truth. And in some cases, in, in, in many of the cases, they don't even want to know the truth. They want to make their own truth. And Lord, uh, you are the true north. And uh, we're just so glad that because of it, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and secure, even while the billows roll around us. And uh, we praise and thank you for that. Thank you for being such a good father, even as I sat there and reflected on some of your goodness to me personally. It was overwhelming. Thank you for being a really, really good father. Thank you for your goodness in my life. And I praise you and thank you for that. And I look forward to that day. We look forward to that day when we're going to see your son who is seated at the right hand of the throne in heaven or the majesty in heaven, as the Hebrews writer said. We look forward to him returning and setting up his kingdom and his rule from, from Zion. And we're looking forward to an age of peace in this world. We long for that. We long for your return and to see you. And now, Holy Spirit, help us as we engage with what your word says and help us to understand what we're reading and what is being said. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, there'll be some 68 verses that we're going to read today, all right? So we've got a lot of ground to cover. And so here we go. Let's begin. Jesus uh, gives us a detail. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. Picture that. He's facing the Temple Mount across the Kidron Valley, and he's telling them what's going to happen. And so the first thing is, uh, you'll notice going up on the screen, it, uh, that's, that's what we're talking about, the tribulation. It's split up into two, two parts. And uh, the first part is the early birth pains. <clears throat> In verses 4 to 8 of Matthew 24, we don't have time to read all these verses. I wish we did. But basically, Jesus describes what would happen. He says, number one, watch out that no one deceives you. Well, he's actually, I think he's referring to the Antichrist there and those that support him. The wars and rumors of wars, ethnic conflicts, nation will, you know, rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So you have the international and intranational conflicts. He said there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. He says that in a, in, in a bunch of verses, 4 to 7, and then he ends by saying this. He says, summarizes and says, these are the beginning of what? Birth pains. Oh, thank you for speaking back to me. Let's have a dialogue as we go, okay? We're going to have a Bible study together, amen? All right. Jesus continued saying that persecution would increase in verse 9. 
he said that the people would begin to fall away from the faith. Some of these things we're already starting to see, but when he's talking about it, whatever we're seeing today will intensify in those, in those first three and a half years, because that's what he's talking about, okay? And uh, some will fall away from the faith, or many, he says, not some, and we're already seeing these things. There would be many false teachers, verse 11. The love of most would grow cold, verse 12. This is all Matthew 24. And the gospel would be preached in the nations uh, before he comes. And we have, we're seeing the culmination of the preaching of the gospel to all nations. Bible translations are going to all the, the nations right now. We're very, very close to a seven-year period right now. And then, Jesus said, something would happen that Daniel had already spoken about. By the way, Jesus, when he's giving his Matthew, this Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 25, he's actually depending very much on the Old Testament prophets. And much of what he says you can find in the Old Testament. Isaiah 26, Isaiah 66, Daniel 7, and Daniel 9. But... Uh, Jesus said, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet who? Daniel. Well, let's find out what Daniel said. Daniel spoke about the final, uh, final week. Remember, he talked about 62 weeks, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and then a seventh week, a, seven, a week of seven, or a week of seven years, okay? We don't have time to talk about those other 62 right now. I have to take it all out of my my message. But let's just talk about this last one. He said in the last days there would be a period of seven years. One week is seven. And that's what we're talking about there. And he said in, in, at this time a world leader which, uh, which uh, uh, the scripture also calls antichrist. Sometimes he's called the lawless one. And would make a seven year covenant or peace treaty Kind of like the Oslo Accords. Remember the Oslo Accords or the Abrahamic uh, Accords? And the Oslo Accords were between Israel and, and Yitzhak Rabin and the PLOs, Palestinian Liberalization uh, Organizations, Arafat, in 1993 and 1995. Those were accords. They're peace treaties. He says, Daniel says, there's going to be a world leader that's going to make a covenant that they're going to trust and they're going to, uh, uh, they're going to make it. He says in verse 27 of uh, the first part of verse 27, he says he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. There it is. A period of seven years. A covenant, an accord, a peace treaty for one, uh, one period of seven years. Okay? The peace treaty, or accord, marks the start of the tribulation and early birth pains that we see over there. So whatever we're seeing now will begin to intensify at that point, even more so than it already is. Then comes, that's the be and then, and then at the halfway point comes the great tribulation. The Antichrist will break the, the treaty, offer a sacrifice himself, stop the temple sacrifice, and declare himself to be God. Back to verse 27, Daniel said, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, and in the middle of the seven, so we saw the beginning of it with a covenant, in the middle, three and a half years in, he's going to break the peace treaty, the accord that he had signed. And uh, 
he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering. By the way, part of the covenant is going to allow, uh, when he starts it, is going to mean they, they will be able to uh, offer their sacrifices on the Temple Mount. Well, right now, the Temple Mount is a huge disputed place, and of course, it doesn't have a temple right now, just the Mount, right? And he's going to negotiate an accord where they can actually offer sacrifices. And uh, whether it's a full-fledged temple or a tabernacle or whatever, we don't know. A temporary kind of tabernacle, we don't know at this point. But um, anyway, uh, and then he will, it says, uh, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. He'll offer a, a, a sacrifice himself. Paul said he will then proclaim himself to be God. And uh, we see that in Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 to 4, he, the lawless one, or the Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself in God's temple proclaiming himself to be what? God. He proclaims himself to be God. That's the final enthronement of man that we were talking about last week. Okay? And so you see how we're kind of dovetailing the two and picking it up from there. John said, he will blaspheme God and exercise authority over the nations for 42 months. That's, uh, that's three and a half years. In Revelation 13, it says the beast empire, that's an, that, that, that's an empire that it's talking about. That's, again, from Daniel, uh, was uh, given a mouth because he talks about four different empires there you know, from the statute, and later he calls them, uh, in another vision, he calls them four beasts, but they're empires, okay? And uh, was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise his, its authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. He will, he will be finally enthroned as the leader exposed as the leader of the world. And all inhabitants of the world will worship the beast, at least those who, you know, take his mark and so on. Of course, Christians won't do that. They, they will not worship him. And, uh, and many will die because of it. Once this man is exposed as the Antichrist, his wrath in the tribulation will greatly intensify. Jesus referred to this as the great tribulation. Matthew 24, he says, for then there will be great tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. So whatever, you know, whether you talk about World War I and II and the Holocaust and stuff, whatever this world has experienced is going to be much worse than that, okay? Because, uh, because he's going to, uh, the wrath of the Antichrist against uh, those that oppose him will be great. And then, of course, God's wrath will come in the, uh, particularly in the last three and a half years, all the judgments will come against him. And it'll be un, uh, this world will never have seen anything like that. Jesus said that, okay? And he said, I want you to know that. Daniel said that the Antichrist kingdom and coalition of nations will be the last, greatest, and most ruthless of any empire in history. Before me was a fourth beast empire, terrifying, frightening, and very powerful, had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. And because the Lord will establish his kingdom on earth through Israel, Satan's 
final resistance. See, it's because Satan is thrown. Oh, I, don't, I didn't have time to, <laughs> I had to take all these verses up, but because Satan is thrown out of heaven, it says in chapter 12 of Revelation, and then he's furious and he's enraged because he, it says literally, he knows his time is short. And he knows that God is about to establish his millennial kingdom in which Jesus will reign. Amen? And will overthrow him. So he will fight uh, just vehemently. He, he'll be, he, he will just rage and he will, he will kick back. He'll be in the corner. Because the Lord will establish his kingdom on earth through Israel, his resistance against the Jewish people will be intense again. And uh, he'll rage against them. And this horrific, brutal enemy will defeat Israel. That's, it's going to happen again. Zechariah uh, chapter 13 says, In the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, and one-third will be left in it. Only one-third will survive. Think about that. That's crazy. There's six million uh, Jews in Israel right now. I don't know how many will be there then, but half of those survivors of that one-third will then be taken captive to surrounding nations, and the other half will remain in the city. So there's going to be a very, very small remnant left in the city. The rest will be scattered throughout the nations where they'll be taken captive. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem, Zechariah says, to fight against it. The city will be captured, houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Further, the Antichrist will wage war against the saints around the world. It says in Revelation 13, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Today, there are 360 million that are under intense persecution, Christians, and saved Jews. Uh, saved Gentiles and saved Jews. 360 million of them are persecuted every day and it will eventually result in incalculable number of martyrs because they won't take the mark of the beast on the head or on the hand. According to Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 to 12. God's judgments on the Antichrist and the nations will intensify during these three and a half years. What Jesus describes in Matthew 24, 21 to 29, so I, you know, we talked about the first bunch of verses up to 8 and said that's the beginning of the birth pains. Remember that? Now we're talking about verses 21 to 29. You can read that in your devos this coming uh, week, devotions uh, time if you like. But verses 21 to 29 match or correspond to John's last three judgments, uh, seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl trumpets. And that's from Revelation 6 to Revelation 16, something, something like that, okay? And what Jesus talks about from verses 21 to 29 matches that. So John is just taking from Jesus and he's just expanding on it some more and also borrowing from the prophets and, and that sort of thing. Anyway, here's an example a sixth seal judgment. So you see where the last three are. So five, six, and seven. So let's take the sixth one, for example. And you can look it up in your Bibles yourself, Revelation 6, 12 to 13. Horrific natural disasters, including multiple earthquakes, which will result in entire cities collapsing and huge topographical changes. 
And then let's take a look at another example. Fifth trumpet. So you notice there's seven trumpet judgments that will come. The fifth one, there are hordes of demonic spirits that will be released from hell to torment Earth's population. And so on. I just, I, I just took a couple of them and just gave you an example, but you can go read it for yourself in chapters 6 to 16 of Revelation. But Jesus talks about it in just those, you know, he just gives a little summary of it in 21 to 29. The frequency and intensity of these judgments increases as you go through the tribulation. And, uh, and there's a reason for that. It demonstrates God's patience and kindness and forbearance because he's desirous that all will come to repentance. That none would perish, but all come to repentance. Amen? If he was just mad and wanted to destroy everybody, he could just do it whomp in one shot. And it'd be over. Isn't that true? Yeah. But he doesn't. It's because he loves us. Amen? And he wants us to come to the truth. So he just keeps increasing the pressure so that he'll catch our attention. And so we won't be so focused on this world and make, try to make this world our home. And that's why he does it. Anyway, the purpose of the tribulation, I gave you one purpose there. It, it will bring a huge spiritual harvest. The end times will not only be a time of great tribulation, but also a time of unprecedented harvest. The Holy Spirit will be poured out during that time. Revelation 7, 9, before me was a great multitude that no one could, what? <laughs> From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They cried with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. And then it, it, a few verses down, verse 13 to 14, then one of the, it says this, because we're wondering, who are these people in, in white robes? It says, then one of the elders came to me and said, these in white robes, who are they and, and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. He said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes in, in, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Huge. You can't count them. Can you imagine that? That's the martyrs. Just the martyrs. The ones who didn't take the, you know, the, the mark of, of, of the Antichrist on their foreheads or on the... And there's going to be an innumerable throng of them, and that doesn't even count the ones that aren't martyred. So there's going to be huge spiritual revival across the world, unlike anything we have ever seen in the history of mankind, including the Great Awakenings, including Pentecost, including Billy Graham, including any of those. Put all of them together and they won't match that. Isn't that something? That's one of the great purposes behind it. You know, think about this. When 3,000 people were killed in the 9-11 attacks, remember that? Just under 3,000 were killed in the 9-11 attacks. Do you know what happened for the next, you know, four months or so? The churches were packed 
in America. They were packed. It, people started to think of their mortality. And that's exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be these, these awful times, but it'll cause people to it'll make them pause and, and start to think about their mortality. And they'll be ready to be saved. That's one of the reasons the church has to be here during the time of the tribulation. Amen? Yeah, because we've got a, we got a, he needs harvesters. Amen? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. And to save Israel, not just to save, you know, big spiritual harvest, but also to save Israel. When God covenanted with Israel at Mount Sinai, he promised that if Israel remained obedient, he would bless them. Yeah. Uh, it says, Leviticus 26, uh, and conversely, if Israel was disobedient, he said, I'm going to chastise you. Why? Because he's mad? No. Let's read it. But if you do not listen to me and carry out the, uh, all, all these commands, I will bring you sudden terror. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you. But the point of the chastisements is redemptive, to bring them back to God. Moses prophesied this would happen in the last days. Moses was a prophet, true? He said a greater prophet was coming. It was Jesus, but he was a prophet. And he prophesied about the last days too. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days, that's like the last days or the day of the Lord, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant. The vast majority of Israelis today are not living in obedience to God and, and to his Messiah. God wants to save his people. Amen? Yes. And this is how he will do it. It's one, uh, it'll be a chief way. And then, of course, to judge the nations themselves. He gathers them so he can judge them, but that, we'll leave that for now. The second main event that takes place now is the resurrection and rapture of believers. And uh, we'll talk about that. See what happens at the end of the tribulation or near the end of the tribulation. Jesus continuing in verses 29 to 31. So we talked about verses 1 to 8 and then 9 to you know, uh, 20 and then 21 to 29. Now we're getting to verse 29 to 31 of Matthew 24. He says, immediately after the tribulation of, the day, of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its lights. The stars will fall from the skies. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then it says, verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. That's, that's his favorite uh, uh, title for himself. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man. And he's talking about Israel there, not, uh, not the tribes of the earth. He's talking about the tribes of land, uh, Israel. We'll see the Son of Man, who they've rejected, coming on clouds with power and great glory, and then his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. He will gather them. Uh, or he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. The angels are sent with a loud trumpet call to gather up 
the elect or the saints after or towards the end of the tribulation. That's why I put those red, the red ones up there again. When does Jesus return? Well, the cosmic events of verse 29 that we just read, you know about the, the sun will be dark and the moon we, uh, will be dark and the stars will fall, etc. The cosmic signs of verse 29 are the same as those of the sixth seal judgments. So remember I talked about those seal judgments. There's three in the last half. And the fifth, sixth, and seventh are there. The sixth one matches that in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. But before the seventh seal judgment and the seven trumpets and the seven bowl judgments. So the seventh, the seventh seal judgment opens the seven trumpets and the seven bowl judgments. Okay, that's, that's the way it works in Revelation. Many of you have read that. So somewhere right in there between the sixth and the seventh, is the sign of those cosmic signs. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 29 to 31, he says, after that, he's sending his angels to gather his elect up. Amen? That means we leave toward the end of the tribulation just before the end. That's where we go. That's what Jesus said. And there's a reason for it. And we'll, we'll see it in just a moment. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we will join them in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17, you recognize this passage. The Lord himself will come down with heaven with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. Same trumpet as Jesus talked about there in Matthew 24. And the dead in Christ will rise first. They will be resurrected. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Notice the same trumpet call as the one Jesus mentioned. That, that's when we receive our resurrection bodies. And again, we can't go to that, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 52. And Jesus then will return. All right? Paul said that shortly after we will return with Jesus and his angels. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, it says, So that he, will, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus, help me, with, with all his saints. When Jesus returns, he comes back with all his saints. Amen. Are you looking forward to that? Oh, 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 oh that'll be a ride. When an important person would come to a city, a delegation from the city would go out to meet him and then escort him into the city. And that's what we're going to do. John also spoke of this in Revelation where he said, the saints will return with Christ to fight against the nations. That's why we're coming back with him. We're coming back with him to fight. How many of you like a good fight? Yeah, if you're a pacifist, you're going to remain behind. And I'm going to write a Remain Behind series. <laughs> but it won't be like what Tim wrote. Anyway, Revelation 19 said, Therefore before me was a, a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. 
His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He was dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in white linen, white and clean. That's us. Then I remember we talked about that earlier in one of the passages there in Revelation 7, uh, where it talks about um, they're wearing white robes. Anyway, uh, then I saw the beast, that's the empire and the antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. The Old Testament speaks of a second exodus coming that will surpass the first exodus because Jesus is going to come to liberate his people who have been crushed. Remember we just talked about that? Uh, Two-thirds killed, half of them taken into exile, half left in the city. Je and, and they're taken into surrounding countries and scattered all over the place. Jesus is coming to liberate his Jewish brothers and sisters. And we're going to be with him. And, um, and he's dressed... Uh, well, let's just back up. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He is dressed in a robe dipped in, in blood. His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven there uh, were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. Now, the Old Testament says that he is coming to liberate them, okay? This, and the Old Testament, the, the, this is a fact that isn't understood by a lot of Christians. The Old Testament, Jeremiah 16 and I think 23, talks about a second exodus or liberation of Israel that's coming that is greater than the first. In fact, so great that you'll quit talking about the first exodus. <laughs> that's quite something, amen? Yeah. However, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt... But it will be said, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their land, uh, to the land that I gave to their ancestors. Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses is a type of Jesus. And Jesus will retrace the steps of the first exodus beginning in Egypt. I know many people think he's coming to the Mount of Olives. He will end up at the Mount of Olives, and he will stand there, but he doesn't land there. Isaiah 19.1 says, See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to where? Remember before we were talking about he comes on clouds? And remember what, just before he left? He left on a? Daniel 7 says he's, he come, the Son of Man comes in clouds. And it's, here it says, where? The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians. And by the way, when Isaiah was writing this, is long. This is like 700 years after the first exodus. So he can't be referring to the first exodus. True? Good answer. This is one of the countries where the Jews will have been taken captive. That's why they're trembling when Jesus returns to liberate them. Jesus and his armies will fight their way back to Jerusalem from Sinai on the south, Edom on the east, delivering captives along the way. 
Let's read about that march, that liberation march with his armies as he liberates his people along the way and they fall in line in the procession toward Jerusalem. Let's read it. Who is this coming from Edom? Oh, that's on the east side, a little bit south uh, on the east side of, of uh, the Jordan. From Bozrah, with his garment stained crimson. Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, Yahweh, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red, like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger, and I trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments. And Jesus, the great warrior who stands in heaven on a white horse and is coming with his armies, this is describing what he's going to do. Notice, uh, uh, now, some might be bothered by seeing Jesus pictured as a blood-soaked warrior who executes vengeance. We need to remind comfortable Western Christians that today there are more slaves on the earth than at any other time in history. And the vast majority of them are young girls. Some of them are kept in cages, used by those who feel no remorse for exploiting them, other humans for their own perverse momentary pleasure, and there's millions of them. There's a reason why he's a warrior who's going to put an end to this once and for all. Amen? Aren't you glad? I am. When we imagine the cries that rise to God's ears every moment of every day for the torment to end, for a Redeemer to come, then we will begin to understand the need for the day of the Lord. Never mind what they will do to the Jewish people again. It's going to be horrific. Isaiah 34 says, The day has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution to uphold Zion's cause. The liberation march to Jerusalem will culminate in the final battle of Armageddon, Revelation 16, 16, in which the Antichrist armies will be crushed. And Psalm 110, Psalm 2 talks about it too. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the, of the whole earth. The next, in the last verse there, verse 7, I think it is. Yeah, verse 7 says, um, he, will, he, he will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high as a king. So this is along the way this happens. And he li it's a liberation march. Now we'll talk about the salvation of Israel. Zechariah 12, uh, verse 10 and 13, 1 talk about it. I will pour out on, at this time on the house of, of David. Remember, there's going to be this big battle of Armageddon against all the nations that are gathered. And, God, uh, and, Jesus and his, King Jesus and his armies will, be, will fight against them, crush the kings and the rulers. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, crucified. Isaiah talks about that too, right? And they will mourn for him. This is the Jewish people 
will the remnant that's left, about a sixth of them, will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. They will recognize that this warrior that comes to liberate them once and for all is the very one that they crucified. Amen? And when they see it, it, in fact, it goes a lot longer than this. I, I had to cut it all out. But you can read that passage. It talks about how each family goes off and mourns bitterly. And the surviving remnant will all be saved. At that point. That's a promise from the New Covenant, by the way. That New Covenant in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 to 34. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. That's the north and the southern kingdom. I'll put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will. Say it again. Because they will. They will all know me. Israel will be saved. Wow, that's a promise from, of the new covenant. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? There's going to be an unbelievable spiritual harvest, but in the end, the remnant of Israel will all be saved. That's an incredible prophecy from Scripture, or prophecies. Wow! And then will take place the judgment of the nations, and are you good to go till noon? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> then the Lord will judge the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Je the valley of Jehoshaphat is really the Kidron Valley there between the Mount of Olives and, and Jerusalem on the east side. Joel 3 talks about it. It says, in those days, at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the nations, bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, these that he's crushed. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance my people Israel because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up the land. Jesus says that those who mistreated Israel will be dispatched to the lake of fire. In Matthew 25, 31, 41, that's still that Olivet discourse and I don't have time to demonstrate something here, otherwise I would, but Jesus said, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives when he said it, so he's looking right at the valley of Jehoshaphat and the Kidron Valley there. And he says, when the Son of Man comes to his, in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then he will say to those on his left, verse 41, depart from me who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. At that time, Jesus will also bind up Satan and cast him into the abyss for the duration of the millennium, which is a thousand years. So that, that takes place right about there. And um, Revelation, John said, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. 
He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years are ended. Amen? No more of this ridiculous deception. That's what happens when the new king is on the throne. Amen? The God-man, when he's on the throne. That's what's going to happen. The gospel or good news isn't simply that Jesus died for your sins so that when you die you can go to heaven, though that's true. The true hope is that every believer is to experience the resurrection of the body and participate in a yet-to-come physical earthly kingdom. One chief purpose for the millennium will be to contrast the reign of Jesus with the reign of the Antichrist who just reigned before that. And the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world, right? And it'll be night and day difference. Take a look at some of the things. Jesus will reign over the nations from Jerusalem. There are many Old Testament passages that talk about this. In fact, you should reread your Old Testament in light of the tribulation and the millennium because most of it, that's what it's talking about. The vast majority of what it's talking about, that's what it's talking about, including much in the Psalms. Psalm 2, 6 says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Then the Lord will bring back those who are in exile among the nations. So he, he will be installed as king. There's going to be, a, and the prophets talk about this mighty procession that's going to happen. It's going to go into Jerusalem, the new king. It's going to be a massive, massive coronation, unlike anything this world has ever seen. Queen Elizabeth's coronation, nothing compared to the one that's going to take place in Jerusalem. You will quit working to watch that one. <laughs> It'll be amazing. And you'll scrape pennies together to see if you can go. Amen? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're one of the armies, you will be there. <laughs> oh, that'll be good. Jeremiah 31 says, See, I will bring them uh, from the land of the north, gather them from the ends of the earth, a great throng. Jesus is going to bring those, the exiles. Like there's six million in, in uh, Israel today, but there are millions more scattered all over the world today. And it says, Jesus says, I will bring them back from the land of the north, gather them from the ends of the earth, a great throng will return. They will come with weeping and will pray as I bring them back, and he will reign not just over Israel, but over all the nations. Psalm 110, 2. Um, another great uh, psalm to memorize. Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies, My, uh, and, the, and the world will be at peace at last. No more wars, no more genocides. Micah 4 says that he will judge between the, the peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They're going to be farming and fishing like you've never seen. You're all going to turn into farmers again. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Instead of manufacturing missiles, the people of the earth will be assembling farm instruments. Amazing. Never again will children tremble in bomb shelters. And the rebuilding of Israel will commence. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Much of it will be decimated in what's coming. And again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. This is part of the gospel of the kingdom which Jesus proclaimed and said we're supposed to proclaim. This is the good news of the kingdom. Here's another thing. Jesus will restore uh, justice to the nations. In Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. No more slavery, no trafficking, no more abortions, no genocides, no more exploitation, no more state oppression. And Jesus will throw down all those leaders. He said in Psalm 110 he would crush them. And then he will replace those leaders. Guess with who? With saints who proved themselves to be faithful and humble in their lives on earth. Well done. Remember that? Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. And he's going to take the humble servants of God, and he's going to replace the wicked leaders of this world and install them instead, the faithful and the humble. Amen. Hallelujah. It's going to be a great reversal. And the world will be rebuilt. Agriculture will flourish. Um, Amos said, in fact, there will be such an abundant of harvest, uh, such abundant harvest that the reapers will still be picking fruit when it will be time to plow the fields for next year's crops. <laughs> Can you believe that? He said, prove it. Okay. Amos chapter 9, verse 13. The days are coming. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. Is that incredible? There's not going to be a food shortage in the world anymore. And the nations will go to Jerusalem to worship King Je Jesus. The temple will be rebuilt. Every year, multitudes of people from the nations will go up to Jerusalem to worship King Jesus and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Zechariah 14 says that. And this will be a continuation of the great harvest that was begun in the tribulation. And they will learn about God's ways. His law, it says... Many people will say, come, let us go on a pilgrimage <laughs> to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It'll be popular to carry your Bibles around. Can you believe that? Huh? Anybody here? It's going to be amazing. Today, millions of Muslims make pilgrimages, Hajj, to Mecca, Saudi Arabia, each year to kiss a black stone called the Kaaba, or cube, which they believe fell from heaven, which can absorb and absolve their sins if they touch or kiss the rock. They say the rock was white when it fell, but turned black because of all the sins that it absorbed. Mecca's 
is therefore the most visited site on Earth today. And I could tell you a lot of stuff about that. But the Muslim Hajj is a counterfeit to the much greater worldwide pilgrimages that will be made to worship King Jesus in Jerusalem during the millennium. If you haven't been to Israel yet, just know this, you're going. Eh? You're all going. Aren't you glad about that? And there's going to be a king ruling there. Then, of course, at the end of the millennium, Satan will be loosed once more. He'll deceive the nations, gather them to fight against King Jesus. Can you believe that? That's what it says. This proves that people won't just fall in love with Jesus when they see him. They can experience a perfect reign and still hate him. Proves the evil heart. Amen? And this time, Jesus will call down fire from heaven and the Antichrist armies will be consumed. The devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. Unbelievers of all ages will be resurrected to face judgment. And they will be cast into the lake of fire as well. And then heaven and earth. Heaven will come down to earth and eternity begins. <laughs> Amen? Maybe you're here. You don't, you know, you've been playing at the edges of Christianity. One foot in, one foot out. Not sure if you're going to follow the kingdom of this world or the kingdom that's coming. There's a new king coming. <laughs> He's the one who died in, on the cross for your sins to forgive you of your sins. You need to receive him as your personal savior. Amen. You need to follow him. You want to be on the right side of history on this one. If you haven't staked your life firmly in his camp, then I invite you to do that right now as I pray a prayer. Pray this prayer with me and stake your life in his camp because this is what's coming he came once already the prophet said he would that's why we know he's uh, that he's going to do it again he's coming a second time but this time he's going to write everything dear jesus i've been playing a game and i've sort of believed in a god but i've i've sort of had one foot in the kingdom of this world and kind of in my mind a, another foot in the kingdom of this of, of God right now I realize I got to make a choice I can't sit on the fence there is no sitting on the fence on this one and I know that I've sinned against you I have not loved you the way I should I haven't loved others the way I should but I really believe that this Jesus the one who's going to be a king is coming back as king that the prophets talked about. He died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you to please forgive me for living in rebellion against you and your kingdom. And today, I'm telling you, I'm jumping off that fence and I'm firmly planting my feet 
in your kingdom. I want to be born again. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be on the right side of history and of eternity. I want to follow you and love you for all my days, and I offer you my life. If you prayed that prayer, then Jesus heard that prayer, and he promises to make you a child of his. And one day, you will rule and reign with him, with the rest of us. Amen.